0: You'll be stunned to know I have three pages worth of notes this morning. So I was walking in, had a little bit of a printing issue, and Clay was helping me out. And I, he said, three pages? And I said, yeah, can you believe it? And he said, well, you'll get two sermons out of it. <laughs> if you're visiting with us this morning, we are so thrilled you're here. We want you to know that our great joy is to relish the Word of God and... Uh, to exalt Christ through the teaching of his word. And what we typically do is go through a passage verse by verse. We're in the book of John, although it's been a few weeks since we've been in John. I was in Madagascar and South Africa recently teaching, engaging in the mission of the church. Then we've had a couple of guest speakers. and So this morning is one more exception to our practice of going through verse by verse. So that's what we normally do. But this morning, I want to walk you through a biblical ecclesiology, what God says about his church and how there are mandates in the Bible for which there are no exceptions. Different people have difficult chapters in their lives. There are certainly extenuating circumstances in people's lives. You know, we think of those who Uh, Get to the place in life due to age, due to infirmity, where they're not able to be uh, with the local church. Uh, They're not able to gather. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us to not forsake the fellowship of the believers. And then that's where we are to admonish one another to love and good deeds in that gathering. And you can't do that if you don't gather. And you can't do that faithfully and effectively if you don't gather faithfully and effectively. Right? But certainly there are, for many people, various chapters in their lives where they're unable. And it's, think of it. It's really an insult to those folks when there are those who are able who are not faithful. Just be it known when there are those who are genuinely overcome in ways that fall clearly within God's sovereign design. It's a big part of God's work in our lives that we would experience infirmity, difficulty, trial, tribulation, persecution, things that take us out of the game for a time. But the church can't be the church without the faithful participation of the members of the church. And just that reality that you see pervasively throughout the New Testament destroys this idea that, well, I'm a, I'm a member of the universal church and I go here and there and wherever. And many times they would cite Paul saying, well, that's what Paul did. First of all, Paul did not do that. Second, you're not Paul. And what Paul did do was establish churches. And for the person who wants to take that mindset, I, w- I would ask the question, how many churches have you planted while you're hopping around here and there, right? So I think you understand this. I, I almost don't need to say anything about it at all, uh, but it's, uh, it's truly critical that every member of the body of Christ realize that they are called to a local church and that involvement in that local church is going to show itself to result in spiritual fruit, Right. I mean, if we know anything about that illustration of fruit in the Bible, it's the one who is fruitless is not in Christ. The person who has no fruit is not a believer. And that ought to really rivet your heart. And so I want to launch from there with that kind of uh, dispelling some falsehoods, dispelling some myths, if you will, about what it means to be a member of the body of Christ by launching into what it does look like. So we'll address some principles in Scripture, and then we'll ask the Lord to give us wisdom and humility, to be faithful to Him, and to honor Him and how we go about applying those truths in our lives. I'm going to go slowly so that this isn't like a whirlwind tour through the New Testament about the church, but just some basics, and then what... I think you and I can honestly look at each other and say, these are some obvious practical application opportunities in our local church. So this morning, you can see there in your so that uh, statement, we always provide that for you. So in case you drift, which I know you never do, uh, you can go back to the bulletin and see what our purpose is. Uh, We'll examine what God's word says about the role of every member of the body of Christ so we will serve him and his church faithfully. You know, you don't want to get to the end of your life and say, man, I missed that point, right? You want to get to the end of your life and say, praise God that earlier on he instilled this in me. The Spirit of God moved on my heart, and I was able to store up massive treasure in heaven by which I will exalt Jesus Christ forever. You know, you don't want to look back on your life and say, I got sidetracked. I got sidetracked for a month. Or how about this? I got sidetracked for a year. I got sidetracked for 10 years. You know, So just don't get sidetracked. There are, as I said, there are those extenuating circumstances, but an extenuating circumstance should never, ever result in a moment of being sidetracked, much less two months or three months or a year or whatever. A few years ago... I believe it was 2013, I did a message called What Jesus Expects from the Members of His Church. Now, if you want to listen to that message, and I would encourage you to do so, you can find it on our website. But I'm going to read to you the 10 points that resulted in 10 sermons. It was one sermon, and then later I went back. I did one sermon on each of the points. Here they are. Number one, worship the God of the Bible. That was the first priority, the first thing on our list of what Jesus expects from the members of his church, worship the God of the Bible, and of course their implications, that is that you not worship a false God, you know a non-trinitarian God, a God who did not take on flesh, or a God who was flesh, but not God. that's in itself a self-defeating statement. but who God is from? Scripture, from his word, what God says about himself, okay? Number two, repent and believe in the gospel continuously, not just this idea that I've embraced the gospel and, well, I did that six years ago. No, 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 but that your life is a constant expression of the life and the atoning death and the new life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that's your constant object of joy. 3 Be baptized. Be baptized by believers' baptism. 4 Commune with the Lord in word and prayer. A lot of times we call that a quiet time, right? We've got tremendous helps for you on our website for that. You know, if you've struggled to get into a rhythm of daily Bible reading or prayer or singing to the Lord. Do you struggle with singing to the Lord? Do you not want to sing to the Lord? We've provided some helps for you, some wonderful helps on our website. But that's Colossians 3. We'll look at that passage in a bit. Five, be faithful to one local church. And like I mentioned earlier, it makes no sense at all. Think of it. For the person who says, well, no, I just go wherever. I just you know, go to this church or that church. I don't need to be a member. You know, the old question is, what if everybody did that? There would be no evangelism. There would be no equipping of the saints. There would be no koinonia, none. So why would it be okay for one person to do that when every command, every command regarding the one another's in the New Testament is focused upon a local church, the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus, the church at Galatia. Number six, make shepherding a joy for your leadership and profitable for you. You say, well, why would we make it about the leadership? That's not what I said. Make it a joy for your leadership as commanded by Scripture. And by the way, that passage in Hebrews 13 has a dual focus. So that's why the point that I made was make shepherding a joy for your leadership and profitable for you. That which is not profitable for you is not a joy for your leadership because much like the Apostle John, every faithful pastor is going to say, make my joy complete. By what? By your faithfulness. Many people think of October as Pastoral Appreciation Month. I think of every month as Pastoral Appreciation Month. Because you show your appreciation by your faithfulness to Christ. That's all I want out of you. That's all I want. I just want you to be faithful to Christ, and that causes immeasurable joy to well up in me. When I see somebody maturing in Christ, showing humility, showing deference to other believers or to the lost, when I see that, that's what brings me great joy. I mentioned that we will likely have a new member in our church on Sunday, and reading through his gospel testimony just made me as it all nearly always does, weep, primarily because you see God doing a work of grace in a person's life that this person has no interest in taking credit for. It's in the moment when someone wants to take credit for their salvation that my heart is just it's shattered, honestly. And you wonder, Todd, when will you ever stop talking about God's sovereign grace? Never, not even in eternity. That's what produces joy in the the heart of a pastor, that he's seeing people give credit to God. And he's finally willing to do away with the pride that insists on his own credit, which is folly. It's utter folly. Seven, take the Lord's Supper regularly, right? Right? We're to do this until he returns. We've been through the Lord's table together many times, once a month for the last seven years. We take it very seriously because Paul takes it very seriously and he urges the unbeliever to not do it. And he urges the believer who is not endeavoring to be at peace with all men to not do it, but he should experience heartache over the fact that he's not right with the body. But we're to do it. We're to do it as God has commanded us to. Number eight, give joyously and generously. As I mentioned earlier, the compulsion to which people are called with a legalistic command to give 10% is absolutely imprisoning. I'm not saying that you shouldn't give 10%. Some of you probably give substantially more than 10%. But that's not the issue. The issue is that you give as you have determined in your heart. And if every person in our church were to do that, we'd have more money than it would cost to do a renovation. We'd be buying our own building, right? Now, number nine, discipleship. There's no such thing as Christianity without discipleship. Have you ever noticed in 1 John, as you read through, John talks to three categories of people, and he talks about their relationships with each other in 1 John? Older men, younger men, little children. It's discipleship. That the older men would pour into the younger men that they would become what? Older men. You say, well, that's going to happen anyway. But that's not what John's talking about. He's not talking about chronological age. He's talking about maturity. Who are the older men in our church? You know, guys? How are you investing in younger men that they would become older men. Think about that. There's no such thing as Christianity without discipleship. Same for you gals. You know, And I know so many of you men and women are doing that faithfully. Praise God for that. And then number 10, evangelize the lost. This is why you're alive. That's why you are alive. To be useful in your exaltation of Christ, your edification of the saints, to win people to Christ. It's why you're breathing. You say, well, I thought I was alive to exalt Christ. Yes, because in your evangelism of the lost, if you're exalting Christ, you're exalting Christ. If you're declaring the gospel. Now, if you're trying to manipulate people into the kingdom by forcing them to pray some prayer or You know, ask Jesus into their heart, something like that. That's not evangelism. But if you're exalting Christ by communicating what the gospel actually is, and you're calling people to repentance, and you're calling them to believe in the gospel, to trust in Christ, to obey Christ, that's evangelism. And when you're doing that, you're exalting Christ, right? Okay, that was the intro. Probably most of you can quote this. We've talked about what we refer to as the three E's of the church. Three words that start with the letter E. The first is exaltation. The second is, somebody say it with me, edification. And the third? Evangelism. So, exaltation of Christ, edification of believers, the saints, evangelism of the unbelievers. So you kind of need to understand biblically the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And so many today would say, well, do not judge, lest you be judged. And and you know from 1 Corinthians 11, we're actually called to judge, not condemn. Those are two totally different words. But we are called, we are commanded to be involved in each other's lives, assessing each other. That doesn't mean you come with a clipboard, you know, a checklist, and you start asking these questions, Well, have you done these 10 things today? Maybe you've chosen to do that with an accountability partner and that could well be a good thing. But you're not the church watchdog you know, that comes and exercises this checklist with everybody you run into. But at the point in your relationships that you see that someone either is or is not apparently being faithful, you are commanded to love that person by addressing those things. Well, let's talk first about exaltation. And I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Many of the New Testament epistles are are really broken up, if you will, into these halves. You've got this solid expression, uh, kind of a didactic expression or a doctrinal or a teaching expression of doctrine... And then you've got the practice, and there's overlap. But here in Colossians 3, Paul launches into that practice, what we call orthopraxy, after addressing the orthodoxy. He's addressed the doctrine in Colossians 1 and 2. And now he's telling us what to do with it in chapter 3. He's writing to people who are, in fact, believers. I'll just read it from Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Listen to this. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So the launching pad is the gospel, and he goes on to further explain what the gospel is, what it looks like in the life of the believer. And here in chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, he tells us what to do with it. Put on, it's a command. It means to robe oneself, to clothe yourself. Put on then as God's chosen ones. and See, that immediately ushers the believer's mind back To the character of God. It eliminates any possibility of saying, because of what you've done, now do this. He's saying, because of what God has done. You who are chosen, holy, that means to be set apart, sanctified, and beloved, which means loved. So these things being true about God of you or toward you, put on, that's the verb, Put on compassionate hearts. And this is so easy to forget and not do. And we get all tangled up in whatever we have going on, and that's not wrong, but sometimes we get so tangled up we can't see the difficulties that other people are experiencing. But look where Paul's headed with this. Let's walk all the way through it. Kindness. So he says, put on kindness. Put on humility. Be humble. Think less of yourself than of others. Philippians 2. Consider others as more important than yourself, right? Meekness. It's a low view of self. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other. If you've got a complaint about somebody, forgive. If, if it's a valid complaint, forgive. Forgive that person. It doesn't mean that you forget. It means that you exercise grace and mercy toward that person. And how do you do that? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And that, how is that? It's, it's like election. You determine to forgive someone not because of their forgivability, but because you've determined to do it because God determined to do it. You see, what, you see the point of this? You see how this works? In the moment that you start thinking that you did something to grasp God's attention, even though the scripture repeatedly says, no one seeks after the Lord, if you're willing to take credit for that, then what happens is rather than exercising compassion and forgiveness toward others the way God has exercised it toward you, you start placing an implication on someone or requirement upon someone that they can't accomplish when you recognize that it's God's compassion for you that should lead you to compassion for others, then you will actually do that. 14, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is where Paul is approaching the idea of exaltation of Christ. This is why we're looking at this passage. Let the peace of Christ... See, that's exaltation. You realize that? You understand that when you... Are engaged in the difficulties of life and you, you trust the Lord for the peace that He has established between you and God when you entrust Him for that to rule your heart rather than that bill that you think you can't pay ruling your heart, you know, it becomes an idol. Well, I'll just take out a loan. I'll just do it my own way. Rather than trusting the Lord, He's provided an opportunity for you to be faithful to Him. You know, whatever the difficulty is, we often Prevent in our own hearts the joy that comes from letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. He says, then to which indeed you were called in one body. You get the idea? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one, one group of people. One local church. You can't do this alone. You cannot let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts by yourself. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. In the moment that that which happens for which you think you can't be thankful, choose to meditate on things for which you can be thankful. And then remember that you're called to be thankful for all things. And then, this, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, that's exaltation. Do you sing to the Lord? Or do you check out when we sing? This is the most basic thing in the life of the Christian singing. Singing. I can remember a dear friend telling me years ago that, you know, I just think that whole singing part of Christianity is, it's optional, it's not my thing. I was persuaded, not just because of that, but I was persuaded to believe that that person was not a Christian. Had no interest in exalting Christ. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, exalt the Lord, worship the Lord. We're given an entire psalter with theology by which we are to exalt him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Do you think of that? Do you think of it as being that? Do you understand that to be your role for me when we sing together? Or do you check out? Or do you just sing to Jesus? Nothing wrong with singing to Jesus. In fact, that's what Paul's saying here. But he's also saying that your involvement in the singing is to admonish and teach. So that admonishment comes with the idea of a warning, not just teaching. He says admonish and teach. Consider that to be your role when you come here on Sunday mornings? I hope so. I know so many of you do. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's the idea of exaltation, but you can see there's a lot of overlap. In fact, there is a lot of overlap in all three of these. But in that you are exalting Christ, it's not just singing to him. It is a matter of singing and admonishing, singing to and admonishing others, teaching others with the theology of the Bible. Do you consider that to be the high priority of your week? well second edifying the body edification of the saints look with me at ephesians 4:15 to 16 ephesians 4:15 to 16 rather speaking the truth in love so what happens many times is that we as believers find ourselves speaking something that's not so true and not really doing it in love. Or we can also go the wrong route of saying something that is true but being very unloving about it. Or we can be what we think is loving and just avoid the truth, and that's not loving. But rather we are to speak the truth in love. This is why we're so committed to exalting the person of God as the Bible depicts him and therefore exposing the false teaching that teaches things about God that are not true. That's edification. And... When a person finds himself in that context where truth is exalted to its proper place, and he submits himself to it, and he humbles himself before it, and he enjoys it, and it stirs up love and good deeds in his own heart, and he finds himself serving the body of Christ, and he finds himself singing to Christ, and he finds himself even willing to speak the truth in love to those who he actually loves. That is a matter of the maturation that takes place in a legitimate local church. I don't have to tell you, though, this is a shocking culture for those who've come out of a pseudo Christian culture where this is never even addressed. You know, just come listen to the teaching, have coffee, and go home. What kind of of good is that kind of teaching? If the teaching is not calling you to exercise spiritual energy in each other's lives, then it's not helpful. And if there's not some form of conviction in your heart when you're not doing that, one of two things is happening, maybe a little of both. The teaching is not effective, but at the very least, there's an absolute certainty you're not interested in sound teaching that calls you to that kind of interaction. Speaking the truth in love, he says, we are to grow up. How about that? You ever told your kids, you need to grow up? Of course you have. You ever heard that? You really need to grow up. You know, you're 35 now. It's time. We are to grow up in every way into him. Right? What is that? That's growing in likeness to Christ. Now, stop whatever you're doing for a second. And let me ask you this question. Do the people who know you best, would they honestly and willingly and excitedly say, I am so happy to tell you I see you being conformed to the image of Christ? There is nothing more valuable than asking that question of the people who really know you. You want to be able to say, I'm involved not only in this exaltation, I love coming to be with the body. I love being here. I love singing to the Lord. But beyond that, what must partner that is a willingness to speak the truth in love. Let's shift gears for a minute and ask the question, how often do you find yourself looking for Christians when you get here to encourage them? What about the person that you have seen grow spiritually and you've seen it for six months or you've seen it for 18 months and you know that they now respond so much differently than the way they used to to difficulty, right? You doing that? I think you probably are to some degree. Maybe it's a little more casual for you than it should be. But at the very least, you're willing to acknowledge when you see humility and growth. Now, listen, listen. For the person for whom this is not happening, he's not going to do that with any consistency. Right? He can't see it because he's not experiencing it. Paul goes on here. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And in case you thought he's talking about the pope, he makes it real clear. He says, in Christ, the pope is not the head of the church. He's not even a member of the church. The person who claims to be the head of the church is, is not a member of the church, right? And he's, if he's that heretical, if he doesn't understand that Christ is the only head of the church, And he's pursuing his own exaltation. He doesn't understand that to be a member of the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love, growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, listen to this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. What do you think he's talking about here? You think he's literally talking about the joint between your upper leg bone and your lower leg bone? Is that literally what he's talking about? What is he talking about when he says joint? He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about the members. What would you do if your knee joint said, I'm going to check out for a month. I'll be back. Now, listen, I, I, I... in case you're wondering and I think I always have to qualify this go on vacation okay no no person in their right mind would tell you that you can never ever miss the gathering of the body occasionally you're going to be ill and things are going to happen but the and your knee joint is going to have pain right so what happens the body compensates when the knee. I mean, we're living that out right now. My wife had knee surgery a couple of months ago, and it has been a drastic change in our lives. Bless her heart. I don't know anybody that loves to serve the body of Christ more than my wife. And her service to the body of Christ, and even to our family, has changed drastically. Probably a lot more prayer. Certainly a lot more counsel, you know? So many of you have been so helpful to us. You've done our laundry. You've helped with our lawn you've you know brought meals i mean I, I we honestly we can't possibly measure what so many of you have done for what our church has done for us and so you're serving all the more because we're in a moment of downtime and of my wife hasn't been sitting this whole time by any means but it's, it's been very, very different. And that's what you see in this illustration, from whom the whole body joined and held together. Think of it. If there's a joint that checks out, the body is not held together. And one should question whether or not that joint is actually a member of the body if it's a long-term checkout. It's the only reasonable way we have to assess this. Joined and held together by every joint, no exceptions, every joint with which it is equipped. Now, I'm not going to have time to get to Ephesians 4 and walk through it like I thought I would, but let me just go back to verse 11 for a moment. And you know this the four roles there, the leadership of the church. Uh, have two roles that are existent today. There's the evangelist, and then there's the pastor-teacher. And the evangelist, who is that? Is there the spiritual gift of evangelism? I don't think so. You never see it in any of the lists in the Bible. But it, there is the critical necessity of evangelism. We're all called to evangelism, every one of us, every one of us. But there are those who are more engaged in evangelism. And Paul instructs Timothy, to do the work of an evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? It is to equip the church for evangelism. No, it's not to go to market night and scream at people through a bullhorn. No, that is not evangelism. But listen, it's also not just going out and doing evangelism, even if it's legitimate evangelism. That's not the work of an evangelist. That's the secondary work of an evangelist. The primary work of an evangelist is to equip the church for evangelism. See that? Is that your role? Maybe it is. The pastor teacher, the shepherd teacher, he's to equip the saints. So Paul here in verse 16 where he uses the word equip, he's referencing that command back in verse 11. You're called to be equipped. The leaders of the church are called to equip, and you are called to be equipped. But as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of overlap There's a lot of overlap with this. When each part, each part, no exceptions. Each part is working properly. Don't you love that adverb? It's pretty clear. It's not just doing stuff. You know? It's not just doing stuff that you decided to do last minute. Working properly. You say, well, what does that look like? Here it is. You don't need it from me because Paul explains it. What does working properly look like? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we're back to discipleship. We're back to 1 John discipleship. You know, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, we've spent... A, substantial amount of time talking about that recently, especially with the, with the men's retreat. Second Timothy 2, verse 2, and he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How, how do you entrust something to faithful men? Well, first of all, you've got to figure out who the faithful men are. Right? And it's not the guy who shows up and says, Hey, I'm a, I'd like to teach. You know, it's the man who is assessed. He wants to be corrected. He wants to be taught. He he wants to be trained. He loves the process of discipleship. He wants somebody to invest in him and teach him how to teach. This is why we did the hermeneutics seminar last Sunday. If you weren't able to be here for that, it's online. You must know how to honestly grapple with the Scripture. Why do people arrive at wrong conclusions in their Bible study? It's because they don't understand hermeneutics. They have no idea how to approach the Bible with honesty. But they're convinced that they do because they like their conclusions. Whatever practice they have in their Bible reading or Bible study or whatever you want to call it, it doesn't address their wrong conclusions. It feeds their wrong conclusions. So, it's critical that a man who teaches the Word of God, who influences people with the Word of God, would understand and embrace the idea of what it means to be a faithful student of the Word of God. Uh, Titus 2, you know, gals uh, and men, Titus 2 Paul's very specific. But as for you, he's talking to uh, to Titus here, right? As for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he goes on to explain, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women... To love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. See that? You know, gals, I think every now and then it's not a bad idea to ask the question is the practice of my life such that the word of God is not being reviled? My kids look at my life and they can. They, can, they will honor the Word of God because of how I manage the home. Verse uh, 6, "...likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame." having nothing evil to say about us. Wow, that's huge. Every one of you, every single person in our church embracing the responsibility to be a faithful expression of Christ and this local church, that we as a local church would not be shamed by your conduct nor mine. What do people think? People who know you best. What do they think, based on your conduct, that it means to be a faithful Christian? Well, third, evangelism. We've talked about exaltation. We've talked about edification. And let me just say this again. The overlap is nearly immeasurable. When you're exalting Christ, you're edifying the saints. When you're edifying the saints, you're exalting Christ. But when you're exalting Christ and you're edifying the saints, there is an overspill of evangelism, right? People are looking on and seeing the holiness in your life. They're seeing a devotion to be set apart. You want that. You love that. You rejoice in that. Well, Matthew 28. Turn there. Matthew 28. Oh, but dear. I've got just a few minutes here. Matthew 28 we can wrap this up quickly let's we'll start with verse 16 now the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted they worshiped him but some doubted and jesus came And said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we've often said this is the foundation for the Great Commission. It's his authority. You know, the Lord Jesus has commanded you to do what he's about to say here. It's very important that you and I ask the question, are we doing this? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Are you involved in discipleship? Are you making disciples? makes no sense for me to take you to Madagascar with me if you're not making disciples here. Who's following you? Who's imitating you? As Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. They worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father "'and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.'" teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, you know, living on the word of Christ. It's like that first Peter reality of drinking the word of God as a baby voraciously, fervently drinks down that milk. That baby loves that milk. That's how you and I should love the word of God, And that's what we're to teach people. We're to do that, but we're also to teach people. That's what it means to be a Christian. You drink deeply, passionately from the word of God. Every word that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that comforting? That the Lord Jesus is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Well, let's wrap this up by asking some questions about what this looks like then. I've uh, a number of times given you this acronym, REST. REST. Start with repentance. Start with acknowledging where you have fallen short. Stop making excuses. Rest in Christ for forgiveness and for faithfulness. Stop justifying your sin. So the R in rest is repentance. E, exaltation. Worship him. Do it now. Thank him in this moment. Don't wait till we sing together. Exalt him in your Bible reading, in your Bible memorization, in your Bible meditation, in your Bible singing. Exalt him. S in rest, supplication. Cry out to him. He longs to bless you with that which he has decreed for you. And when you cry out to him for that, it blesses him to bless you. Supplication. Asking for what you know honors him and blesses you. And then T, thanksgiving. Be thankful in in all things. There are some non-negotiables in terms of answering the question, what is your role in the church? We've titled this message, Finding Your Role in the Church. There are some non-negotiables. There are some things that all of us are called to do, to sing, to serve, to pray, observe the Lord's table, to be baptized. You're called to unity, to nurture unity. You're called to love. You're called to forgiveness, to compassion. You're called to exercise your spiritual gifts. Now, your spiritual gift package, so to speak, is different from anybody and everybody else's. So your service is going to look different, but you are going to be faithfully and excitedly involved in worshiping the Lord, you know, exalting Christ, edifying the saints. Um, Maybe you want to provide some mood music for our sermons. Oh. You're called to be involved in evangelism. So those are all non-negotiables. You're called to discipleship. Now listen, the person who most needs discipleship is the person who most creatively justifies his lack of discipleship. It's amazing to me how people can deceive themselves into thinking that they somehow are engaged in discipleship when they're not or that the Bible does not call us to discipleship. The person who most needs it is the one who is least willing. In Judges 21-25, we're told where there is no king, every man will do what's right in his own eyes. Now, I'm not a king, nor is anyone in our leadership, but the principle applies. You have to have leadership. You have to have spiritual leadership. Ephesians 4 11, that's what the leadership does. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. So in the moment that you start thinking, well, this is the way I serve Christ, or that's the way I serve Christ, what do the believers in your local body think about that? Would they affirm it? Have you even asked? That's why we call our membership process affirmation, the affirmation of the local body, which is what you see in the New Testament. Don't get derailed on some tangent and start thinking you know, you're doing something that's truly effective for the glory of Christ, the edification of the saints, and the evangelism of the lost, unless you've determined that with your local body. If you've been to a Shepherds Conference, and, and many of you have, and you've had your shoes shined, because they do stuff like that there, and if you've had your shoes shined by a guy named Carlos, And you asked him what he does for a living. You probably wanted to get up out of the chair and shine his shoes. Carlos is a superior court judge and he shines shoes for pastors at the Shepherds Conference every year. He's one of the dearest people I've ever met. He's an elder at Grace. Faithful guy. And You would never know that a guy who's shining your shoes is a superior court judge. That's what this looks like. You know, what is my role? What is your role? And maybe your role is temporary. Maybe you're maybe you're gonna be the sub filling in for somebody who would come next and and maybe even do better than you. You know, I used to be our music leader. Remember that? Twenty or so of you. Eric and I led the music, and, and we were faithful with that, but we prayed and we knew God would bring us the guy we were subbing for. What, what is your role? Have you found your role? There's so many things that you could be doing. You could be cleaning our building, you know, and many of you do. Most of you have done that. Most of you have helped clean our building. You could be working on the renovation. You could take on our landscaping. You say, landscaping? Yeah, exactly. Just a little bit, but we need somebody to take that on. You know, on top of the non-negotiables, the basics, the fundamentals, there's so many things you could be doing. You could be involved in our renovation. You know, maybe you're called to children's ministry. We need more people working in our children's ministry. We as you know, we put you through a, a very careful process of assessment because it's children. You know, too many churches don't do that. Maybe it's our music ministry. We need more people in our music ministry, and so many of you are gifted musically. Maybe it's our hospitality team. Maybe it's counseling. Whatever it is, the Lord has given you the blessing of being involved in a faithful body where you can figure it out. We did a renovation several years ago. We renovated this suite it was just a nasty mess in here, and I could mention a lot of names of, of people who blessed my heart immeasurably with their faithful, sacrificial service, but two pictures come to mind, and, and a lot of pictures come to mind. The more I think about it, the more pictures come to mind, but one is Jim Sneed standing there with that sawzall, smiling. If you haven't seen that picture and you'd like to, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's one of my favorite pictures. He's, he looks a little dangerous with that thing in his hand. <laughs> And again, uh, so many pictures are coming to my mind. I think of my little kids at the time, you know, trying to get nails out of wood and things. But the other picture that, that comes to my mind is um, a picture of Bob and Patty Biggers. Some of you don't even, you don't have any idea who Bob is because you've come later and, you know, you haven't heard the story Bob was a professional landscaper, and he was one of the most excessively sacrificial, generous people I've ever known. I can see Bob's truck pulling out of our other building, overloaded with foliage that he had cleaned up from that building. (laughs) And, you know, the back of the truck is dragging the ground, and uh, he's taking it off to the dump. Uh, But Bob and Patty sat somewhere right in here around that that big wooden table that must have weighed about 500 pounds that we homemade here. And they were, uh, with alcohol, they were rubbing paint off of pieces of door frames to save us money. And and some of you did that as well, and so many of you did so much back then. It's it's almost um, not prudent to mention a few names because so many of you served so sacrificially. But here, you know, here's a couple that's just been faithful to Christ for so long, for decades. Bob could have said, well, I don't want to rub paint off a door frame. I'd rather, I'd rather do landscaping. That's what I'm good at. But he and Patty, like so many of you, sat there and did that. And what I remember is how when I said, smile, I'm going to take your picture, they were already smiling. See, that's the way this works the body works together, that Christ is exalted, the saints are edified, they're strengthened, and by faithful, legitimate, spirit-filled, Bible-based evangelism, people are one to Christ. And we can get to the end of our lives and say, okay, we had a building, but what the Lord did was build the building. And he did it through the faithfulness of those that he's called to do that. Father, as we look around the room, we see expressions of your grace. And we exalt our Savior, first of all because of who he is, but also because of what he has done. We cannot exalt each other. We cannot worship each other, and we don't want to do that. What we want to do as we see faithfulness in each other's lives, even now as we sing to the Savior, that Christ would be exalted as we acknowledge what He and He alone has accomplished. But Father, we long to be obedient to the command of Colossians 3 and even Ephesians 5 to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other. That even now as we sing, that our worship service would not be over simply because we've said amen at the conclusion of a sermon, but that we would fervently involve ourselves in exalting Christ that would result in the edification of the saints. But also for the reality that in your word you assure us that there will be tears among the wheat, that we would with compassion find ourselves with the opportunity to communicate truth To the false convert. But more so, Lord, that we as a body, we as a local body, would have been strengthened today to leave this place and with grace and mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness communicate the ultimate power of Christ's death on the cross to provide certain forgiveness for all those who will believe in him, that they would then find their hope in his victory over that death and over sin, that he rose again with triumph over death and over sin. We would do all those things together even now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.